Luke chapter 14 is our text this morning. Luke chapter 14, verses 16 to 23. You can include 24. I'll stop at 23. Maybe I'll reference 24 later, but uh, 16 to 23. And I just want to invite you to to listen along. I'm reading from the, the, the New American Standard. But in Luke chapter 14, verses 16 to 23, this is what Jesus shares. And he shares a parable about this great, I'll call it a great party. I'll take my liberty. It was a great party, a great feast, a great meal, a great dinner, whatever you want to call it. It was a dinner party. And Jesus makes this invitation. And there's a, it's a parable which has much more meaning behind it for us. And it's actually very simple if we don't complicate it. Luke 14, verses 16. But Jesus said to him, or he said to him, a certain man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour, he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused excused and another one said i have married a wife and for that reason i cannot come and the slave came back and reported this to his master and then the head of the household came angry and he said to his slave go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame And the slave said, Master, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. Still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Why? Because they declined. That's verse 24. Now, let me just introduce you to something really interesting here. In Luke's Gospel, and you may have heard sermons in the past, and I've referenced this parable in past sermons, and other sermons you've heard them, right? But 32 times in Luke's Gospel, there is mention of food or meals or fellowshipping over a meal, having meals and dinners. 32 times in Luke's Gospel. Now, it's still, even in our culture... A lot of other cultures, globally, if there's one thing that brings people together, it's, it's the chow, right? It's the grub, it's the food, it's the meal, it's the yummy stuff, whatever you like, but it, it brings people together. Food and drink brings people together. And you come around that table and you have that excellent fellowship and joyful fellowship, hopefully. And you discuss things and you talk life and you share life and you can even work things out over a meal. You can make transactions that are business or business transactions and deals over meals. All kinds of things happen over meals. Big, big part of the culture that Jesus was in and sharing this parable. See, Jesus here in our context, he was the dinner, he was the guest Uh, a dinner guest of a Pharisee, a ruler of the Pharisees here in chapter 14. And at the dinner, one of the guests heard Christ speak and he expressed a view that was held by many Jews that only Jesus would be invited to the great feast. I'm sorry, Jews 
would be invited to the great feast of the Messianic kingdom. Just Jews. They could care less, and especially the Pharisees and the rulers, they could care less about the growth of God's kingdom or embracing anyone different from themselves. It's our party, we're God's people, and we're going to enjoy our party by ourselves. And if you can get in, good luck. Or it's going to be really hard getting in. And you've got to jump through a million hoops. And by the way, they made the hoops. Jesus speaks, and he addresses this attitude through a parable of this great supper. And this parable not only addresses the attitude of the guests that were there, but presents some truths that can be applied to us today. You know, in Luke chapter 13, one chapter prior to this one, in verses 28 to 30, there is a connection there. And and Jesus addresses in those three verses, those people who expect to be at the feast, but they're excluded. Yes, it was the Jews, and it was the Pharisees, and God's covenant people. And, and maybe, maybe there are some of you here, if we, make it, if we apply it to what it is now, that you think you're expected to be with God one day in heaven, because, by the way, you have a spiritual pedigree with your grandma, or your grandpapa, or your mama, or your daddy, or your son, and they believe in Jesus. They have faith for you, and and it goes way back three generations, and somebody got baptized four generations ago, or whatever it was. And and you hold on to that, and you think, you're good, you're in, I'm going to be there. But they're going to be excluded, and they're addressed a little bit, and there's there's a little more context there, but that's the gist of what's there. It's kind of a little background there. And in this parable, Luke 14 It addresses those who are excluded. And Jesus makes the point, the ultimate point is, that when they're excluded from this feast, they're the only ones to blame for not being there at that dinner party. Can't point the finger. You can't even talk to the master of the house, which is God himself, and say, it's your fault that I couldn't come to the dinner. It's their own fault, if you will, and they have no excuse that holds any water. And Jesus shares this parable, and I want you to notice first, in verses 16 to 17, that there's this divine invitation. That's what the parable is talking about, that that master is God himself, and he's making this invitation for people to come to this huge dinner party. It says there that this invitation was made to many doesn't say just the Jews, doesn't say just the Gentiles, doesn't say just men, doesn't say just women or just children or it's a kid party or it's a middle school youth group party. It says many and there's there's a whole bunch of different kinds of people that were invited and they're coming to this upcoming dinner. And this invitation, of course, like when we have people coming and we're hosting, it requires preparation, right? There's preparation that's going on. And this initial invitation is accepted by everyone. Let let me explain that. It's it's like when some people do this, not everybody, but there's a wedding coming up, and they mail you like four months in advance, a save the date. You might all know, you might have heard through the grapevine, maybe you didn't know, but four, five, even five months sometimes, hey, we're getting married, by the way, you know, July or, or, or January of 2023, we're getting married, so mark your calendar, you know, it's there. You got to save the date because you're invited. We want you there. And it, it means you're waiting for other things, like another formal invitation that says, okay, 
you know, now I want this dinner, or I'm coming with my wife, or now nah, I want to leave my wife alone. No, no. You, I'm, I, there's, there's three, there's four, there's two, whatever. You, you, you're responding. But that's the initial invitation. It's made to everyone. Everyone gets this invitation. And it requires, and, and the, the host is preparing, right? And again, the servant was sent to all who were invited, the many guests, if you read in verse 16 and 17. But there's a second invitation that confirms, right? It makes it formal that the party is about to start. And hey, heads up, it's starting. You got to save the date. Now it's time to come. It's not exactly like that, but for us to understand, that's how it is, okay? And it was the custom in that time to send out two invitations. One to announce the event, the save the date, and the other to tell the invited guests that it was already, let's go, the party's on. It's coming. Like it's, it's, it starts in two hours, and it goes out. The servants are going out and saying, all right, around everybody in the town, the villages, and further out there are invited. Let's go. It's time. Two hours, we're going. Get on the way. Get in your chariot, whatever it is. Get on your horse. Get on your feet. Get your sandals on and come out. And in this parable, the certain man that Jesus is referring to, this master, is God. I already said that twice, but I'm going to reiterate that. God is preparing a huge festival or feast for us. And he has sent out the invitations to us. To Can I say? To humanity. To humanity. And once God has this feast ready, he'll send out the final invitation. And the question is, what will your response be? Can I just say that the final invitation has been going out ever since Jesus died on the cross and rose again? That final invitation has been going out ever since Christ rose. And he made a way. He became the entranceway, the gateway to that party, to walk through that door, to be able to go to that party. And you've got to receive and accept him to do that. My question is, what will your response be? What is our response? What has our response been? The initial invitation called only for an acknowledgement. Oh yeah, okay, good. I see that. I recognize that. I know it. There's a wedding coming. It's this date. Let me put it on my fridge. Unfortunately, some people throw it out. But it's a reminder. Everyone sees that even if they glance and they know it's coming up. The second calls for commitment and action. It's now you've got to get up and go and you've got to go to that dinner. Now is the time. Go. See, there's this divine invitation, and this invitation has been going on for quite some time now. But notice also in verses 18 to 20, secondly, that there are various reasons for declining. You have this divine invitation, but there are these declines to the invitation. There are declines. There are many people declining for all kinds of reasons. And in that culture, and even in our culture, and even in our immediate families, if there's a wedding or there's a great party or feast and a lot of people are coming, we take declines or excuses that are giving and saying, I'm not going to be there, excuse me. We can take them very personal. And in that culture, it it was personally insulting to do that. When you went out of your way to make all these invitations, make all the preparations, and go big, and then someone says, nah, they snub you. And, and you, you've, you've, you know who you're inviting, and you want them to be there, your desires. You want that, and it breaks your heart, and you get frustrated, and you get insulted by that. 
See, this illustration, this parable that Jesus gives within this illustration within his parable, it, it offers three declines, if you will, that are backed by excuses of the invited guests. And the first one that we read is one that has to do with material possessions. Right? What happens here first? There's a guy who knew who purchased a lot, a piece of land. He purchased this. And what does he say? He says, I can't come because I have to go check it out. Think about it. Huh? You mean you didn't check it out first? It's a bad excuse. It's a bunch of baloney. It's a bunch of baloney. You don't buy a piece of land without first checking it out, not or at least doing some research. And now we have the internet or whatever, but you're doing research. You're checking it out. You don't just say, oh yeah, I drove by the sign, it looks great, I'm going to buy it, I'm going to put an offer on it. I mean, maybe, I mean, I'm sure it's happened with some people, but reasonable people, and the wisdom is, is you check it out. So this guy has a terrible excuse. I just bought a light piece of land, I got to check it out. Uh, no, you don't. You already know what it is. You saw it. You, you paid for it. It's yours. You just want to go and hang out on it or maybe do a project on it. The second one has to do with business concerns, right? The second one is this guy bought these, these five yoke of oxen. He bought his big combine tractor for his farm. And the same thing here. It's ridiculous. He says, I've got to go check it out. I've got to go test drive it, if I paraphrase well, duh, what are you, huh, like, what are you doing? You, you should have test-driven that thing before you bought it if you're going to invest into this harvesting tractor or machine for your farm, but you're saying you can't come to this great feast by the master of the land. You can't come there because you've got to test-drive your tractor in your field. Well, yeah, it's my business, my livelihood. I've got to make sure. You should have done that before. You, you, I mean, that, that just makes sense, right? I mean, we live in a world with a lot of not of sense now, so this, it actually... It actually, this actually fits, okay? But this is what you do. You test drive it first. And then you have this newlywed guy. I'll just summarize it this way. His excuse is the passion of being newlywed. That's it. That's all I'll say. And he's got to spend time with his wife. He's got to, whatever. He's got to do, he's got to enjoy that relationship with his wife. And there, there are cultural things, even in that time, where you were exempt from the military for your first year of marriage, you could find you could be exempt in your first year of marriage from military service within some of the armies there in that 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 time period. That was part of what they did. But he's like, I'm not going to the party. I got I got my wife. I just got married. I don't know what the reasons were. Could have been a lot. We'll just leave it there. The truth is this. The truth is that anyone can find an excuse if they really want to find one. Um, don't raise your hand, but let me just ask you a question. How many of you have ever made up an excuse to not be somewhere? Don't raise your hand, because then we'll all be harping on you. <laughs> or you're just really honest and you don't care, and that's fine. We've all made up excuses because we don't want to be somewhere, and they were not even legitimate. They were phony. Just say, I don't want to be there. Oh, but that's offensive. That hurts. I'm going to hurt that person. I'm going to insult them. I don't want to be there. I, you know what? Nah, I got something else to do. Well, what, do you, what if they said, well, what are you going to do? Then you start lying more. 
Oh, yeah, well, who are you doing that with? You knew about this for three months. Oh, but I don't even know who that person is. I never heard of them. And it's some new friend of yours? Oh, and what do you do? It, it just keeps going on and on. And you get yourself in trouble and you dig a hole. We can make excuses for anything. And the excuses might even seem plausible on the surface. Whether it's about placing tr trust in Christ as your Savior or whether it's about serving Him. Even now, as for those of us who have accepted the invitation and are following Jesus and are in His kingdom. Now, I'm going to read something to you that I found really interesting as I was preparing a couple weeks ago, and I printed this out, and then I, I'm going to quote him as a, by a guy named, um, uh, oh, I forgot his first name, but Live Larson. I, I just have him, is it on his, this, this printout? No, Larson. He, he's a theologian and, and, a, and a commentator. And he wrote this. He wrote this about humanity and about the excuses we make for invitations, and especially invita invitations to accept Christ and to acknowledge that we're sinners in need of him and then to serve him. But he says this, the Bible is the ultimate psychology book. I'll amen that too. In it, in it, God's own word illuminates the heart, which perverts and corrupts the mind and makes the mind what it does that isn't good and sinful. Those are my words. All right, back to, the, back to quoting him. Jesus is dealing here with something that Something, hold on, Jesus is healing, dealing here with something that depth psychologists did not begin to plumb until 1900 years later. That life breaks down as a result of our defense mechanisms. Defense mechanisms. Those devices you use to shield yourself from truth. Ooh, man, hurts, because I do it too. Defense mechanisms or excuses are all a part of self-justification. And self-justification is simply a form of self-worship. I'm quoting him. You think that you're special and that the rules don't apply to you. That's what sin is all about, whether you approach it psychoanalytically or biblically. Amen. And that's the truth. Come back at me and philosophize about it with me. That's fine, but go back to the Word. That's the truth. That's the human condition. Because of sin and the fall, we believe that. And if you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible. You don't believe the truth of human history and how we've evolved. I'm being sarcastic. The Jews, the Jews had an excuse. They had an excuse. And Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 9 and verses 4 and 5, and in many other places in Romans, actually. And their excuse is that they have this historical, covenantal, and spiritual pedigree going back to Abraham. We're all good. We're expected to be at the feast. And eh, the invitation, I'll blow it off. To, I'm, I'm in. I'm a shoe in I'm not worried about it. I don't even need to go, because I'm, 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 I'm good. But these three offers... 
The illustration of these, this offer that has declined in these three ways reminds us that our excuses are not enough to justify us before God. They never were and they never will be. God is serious about his invitation. Do you know why he's serious about his invitation? And there's strong language that is used here. And don't mischaracterize God. But it says he got angry. The, serving, the master got angry. Why? Why? Can I, can I, I'll stretch it a little bit here, and I, I think, but it applies. It's a righteous indignation, which is almost impossible for us as humans to exercise, but God does. Because he is so good, he is so patient, he loves so much, and he had you in mind from eternity past. And he wants the party to be full. He wants everyone there to fill every single seat that he has prepared. Now, I don't know how big, how many seats he has, but he wants every seat filled at his party. And when the seats aren't filled... That's how God responds. God responds to these these declines. And He says, invite others, in verses 21 to 23, invite others until the house is full. Not 90%, not 98%, not 99%, but 100 I don't know how many seats are in that house, and neither do you. But I will tell you something, that Jesus hasn't come back yet and we're not eating at the final feast the marriage supper of the lamb so i know that there's still room at the table there is go to the streets and the alleys of the city he says invite the poor the crippled the blind the lame the outcasts of society hanging out in alleys those on the fringes and what's amazing is that they come to the dinner party they come Here's the kicker. What's their excuse? They're all beat up and they're not in shape to be at a fine feast and not even dressed like it. They're not, a, a, they're not deserving Jews. They don't belong. They don't have that pedigree. But they're invited and they come. They respond. They got that invitation and they respond in that way by, by going to that feast and the servant reports even after that is done the servant goes back to the master and he reports there's still more room even after i did that and so the man the master responds with a command to go to the roads and the country lanes go further out invite anyone and invite everyone wherever find them and they're invited to the party do you remember Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, when, he, when Matthew closes the gospel, he says this. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creatures, to everyone. Preach it to everyone. You know what? Carry the invitation. Give out the invitation to everyone you come into contact with because my table is huge and I want to fill it. And when it's filled, then I'll come back and we'll have a big party. And it's going to, and you know what? That trumpet's going to sound, and that's going to be the time to say, Here we go, it's on. Can't wait for that. Oh, man, that's so cool. Just sounds cool saying that. Anyway, listen, you might not even know all the details. Who's involved? Why me? People who are getting this invitation. But, but you know what? This sounds like the call, the call and the grace of God that is going out. 
People who might understand everything, and you give them the simple gospel message, you might not even understand, well, God, how are they going to receive? How can I be so clear? Just tell them that Jesus loves them, and he's coming back, and there's room at the table so they could feast with him forever. Listen, the Jews, don't be like the Jewish leaders. Don't invite people that you can benefit from. Invite people who will have the benefit or the blessings themselves. And you can read about that earlier because Jesus rebukes and there's, there's, some, there's some murmuring going on in other Gospels about who Jesus was hanging out with and who's invited and who Jesus was, was reaching out to. And that was the attitude of the stuck-up, wealthy, religious teachers in verses 12 and 14. Here's the truth. Many, many people have not encountered God yet. So you know what you do? You invite until the house is full. Keep inviting. God wants his house to be full. His, his love burns for souls. So half full is not enough. Three-quarter full is not enough. Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 4, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. The key word is that God desires. Oh, God knows. Again, which, which we, we can't even comprehend. He knows what's going to happen. He knows everything. But God desires that all, all men, all, not just who you hang out with, not just who you like, not just your subculture, not just your soccer club, not just your business associates, not just your social class. No, all, 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 all. He desires all men to be saved. Because God is not content, or he's not pleased, I should say, with an empty banquet table. He's also, in Luke chapter 5, he's not content or pleased with fishing without catching. In Matthew chapter 13, he is not satisfied or pleased with sowing without reaping. He's also not satisfied or pleased with a fig tree that bears no figs. In Matthew 18, he's not satisfied with the lost sheep that are not brought into the fold. In Matthew 9, he's not satisfied with that ripe harvest, but again, it's not reaped. In Matthew chapter 10, he's not satisfied or content and pleased with a proclamation without a response. And so he will keep calling out until the table is full, every single seat. So what do we do? We keep inviting until the house is full. And we make that invitation compellingly. Because God is not content until a table is full. What does that invitation, the gospel, what does that invitation mean to you? Is it worth extending the invitation to others? Do you hoard it for yourself? Do you decide who's deserving of getting the invitation? Do you care if you're the only one that's giving the invitation? If it's only you and no one else, and you, but you're faithful to the Master and you're going out and now you're way out into the highways and byways and the country roads and you're finding people that have no clue who the Master even is. That's really what that says. 
But then you say, there's a God who loves you. You don't even know, but let me tell you about him. There's a party, there's a feast that he wants you to be at. Are you going there? Because of your own anticipation. Aren't you anticipating that great feast one day? Because of your own anticipation. You should be persuasive. I'm talking to myself as well. That we should have such an, an energy and enthusiasm about what's coming that we should want to drag along, if you will, as many people as we can, as I can. And I stand convicted because I haven't been faithful in sharing that invitation all the time. Somebody said that we shouldn't just be persuasive, but somebody said that this is really about being insistent on the hospitality that the Master wants to show to humanity. Christ's love for us and for humanity should compel us. That's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.14, that Christ's love compels me, compels us to keep doing the gospel work. And you find that in Ephesians chapter 5, the first two verses as well. It's Christ's love, His heart, God's desire. It compels us, it pushes us, it propels us and makes us go and do what God wants to make this invitation constantly. Not just compellingly, but constantly. See, you know Why? Because there is a consequence to dealing with and making excuses. There's a consequence. If you decline the invitation of the master of God himself, you will be hungry and thirsty for eternity. And your hunger and thirst will never end. How many of you have ever been to the point of starvation? Yeah. Is it a good feeling? You, would, you can understand, but even more, you, you will feel that for all of eternity in your soul, that hunger and thirst with no quenching when you decline the invitation to come to this feast where you can eat forever and be satisfied in God's presence. But if you respond and you go, Jesus taught what happens when you do that. But when you receive this invitation and you come to him, it's like this. In John chapter 4, verse 13 to 14, he said, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. Talking about a woman at the Samaritan well. And it was physical water. And Jesus tells her, if you drink this water, you're going to thirst again physically. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst Never! You'll be at the table in this life and you'll continue feasting into the next life in eternity, if you will, forever and ever and ever again. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. It's springing. It never keeps stopping. Never keeps stopping. It's like a locustville pond, Bob, when you jump in and you constantly feel in certain spots that cold water because the springs are, are releasing and they're pouring out. They don't stop. It never stops. And you can always be satisfied. And, John, and Jesus said in John 6.35, I am the bread of life. Not just the drink, but here's the, 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 subs, the substance, the food. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not Hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. He repeats it again. You won't be hungry and thirsty when you receive that invitation. So here's the conclusion, and we're going to have communion.
There is no benefit in getting an invitation. Oh, you were thought of, frankly, and maybe even with love, but there's no benefit in getting an invitation. The benefit is in the response. Will you come? The result of responding to God's invitation is the blessings of joy and a relationship with God Himself where sin is taken away and removed because of what Jesus did and because of your profession of faith and what He did once and for all to take that away. And now you're blessed in your relationship with God, your Creator, but also with others. Eating with God is not about having genetic ties to Father Abraham or having a Jewish pedigree or some other spiritual pedigree. Eating at the banquet is about responding to the invitation that Jesus makes, trusting Him and giving your life to Him. He said in Revelation, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man opens it, I will come in and sup with him. I will eat with him. The knock is an invitation. And maybe you're feeling that in your heart right now. You know it. It's something you've never felt. The Holy Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, God is saying, man, I, I, want, you, I want to eat with you. I want you to be part of that great dinner party, like now and forever. And I want to be with you, and I want to get to know you. You can know me. And, and you'll have a huge family around the table of other people who believe and have me as God, their Father. And we can go through this together and then enjoy eternity forever and ever. Have you received that? Have you responded to that invitation? Are you going out with God's invitation to the great feast that is found in Christ? Maybe you've responded, but are you going out with that invitation? Because I'll say it again, there's still room at the table. I still see a lot of seats here. And I don't know how many seats are left around God's table, but there's still seats because he still hasn't come back. Communion, or the Lord's Supper, is a picture of relationship that is marked by fellowship. And we have that through Jesus Christ and because of what he did. Even more, it's a memorial celebration of what Peter states in his first epistle, 3.18. It says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the Spirit. Once and for all. And that relationship starts when someone says what Paul states in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. That if you openly declare, or that if you confess that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It's accepting His invitation and going towards Him and then coming to that table around Him by faith and laying down your sins and letting Him wash them all off you. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. There is a proclamation of your faith. You don't hide it. You said, I've received the invitation. Now let me give you the invitation. Paul gives some instruction that we need to heed in 1 Corinthians 11. And in front of you, in the chair, there's a little communion set with the wafer and the cup, which actually I forgot to get, so I'll grab one. 
I'll be right back up. We're going to partake together as we close our service. And Paul gives this instruction, and we read this very often. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 23, For I pass on to you what I receive from the Lord Himself. On the night that He was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and He gave thanks to God for it. Then He broke it in pieces and said, This is My body which is given for you. Do this to remember Me. And in the same way, He took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and His people. An agreement confirmed, or a covenant confirmed with My blood. Do this to remember Me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until He comes again. It really is. Even if it's momentary. It's supper time. And we're gathered around this table as God's people. Maybe you're not. Maybe you haven't received that invitation. But all it takes is a, is a confession by faith. And you eat at that table. You partake as family then. You surrender your life. And you can enjoy the feast. Because you know who Jesus is and what He's done. Let's open the top film and get our wafer if you don't already have that. When you hold this, remember that Jesus is the bread of life. You need Him. Without Him, you're going to be hungry for a long time. With Him, your hunger is satisfied. When you look at this cup, remember that not only does His blood wash away our sins, but that He is the spiritual water and we drink of Him by faith. And we are satisfied and our thirst is quenched. Heavenly Father, thank you for, for that person or those people in the past who extended your invitation to us to come to your table and find salvation, find soul satisfaction, find healing and wholeness only and exclusively through you, the one mediator, your son Jesus, between God and men. Lord, I thank you that you're the bread of life. Help us to daily feast on you, your word, your presence. Help us, Lord, to lean on you and abide in you. Thank you for your blood that you shed on the cross because it was the only way that our sins could be washed away, atoned for, taken care of and covered once and for all. And thank you that when you look at us and you look down the table and we sit with you, you see us as your children redeemed and bought by the blood of the Lamb the Lamb Jesus Himself, Your Son. We thank You for Your salvation. Help us, Lord, even now as we eat of this bread and this cup to remember that we have an invitation to hand out everywhere we go because there's still room at Your table. Let's eat the bread together. if you would peel back and we can drink, drink the cup together. So this morning, as you go, I want to just share one thing. If you, 
if you've never received or responded to that invitation, I'd love to talk to you after service. Or if you have, and you made a prayer, even we were sitting here, or if you've recently done that, or you want to, I, I, I want to talk to you. I want you to have that gift of eternal life that is found in Jesus Christ, and then you can sit at that table and feast with Jesus and God's family. And if you have, I remind you again, for the second time, as I did at the end, that you've got an invitation to hand out. There's a lot of room at the table. Amen?